Good morning. My name is Angela, and I am part of the um, prayer ministry team here at Hillcrest, and I'll be reading scripture this morning. 1 Corinthians 9. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Thank you, Angela, for reading the word of the Lord to us today. Well, good morning. How are you today? Yeah, some woohoos and some, oh, wow. Okay, happy people. That's awesome. Well, for five weeks, uh, well, this isn't, we aren't five weeks yet, but uh, this is our fourth week out of five that we've been talking about legacy, leaving the next legacy here at Hillcrest. And it's about leaving a legacy as a church, but it's also about thinking a little bit about what legacy are we leaving as individuals as well. And so far, we've talked about a kingdom first legacy, a legacy of generosity, a legacy for the city. And today, we're talking about a legacy that lasts forever. But I'm going to let my good friend Doug Sigelko introduce that concept to us today. So let's listen to Doug. Could I talk to you about a legacy that lasts forever? A number of years ago when I was in Bible college, we used to have uh, once a month a missions emphasis chapel. And in one of these chapel periods, we were singing a song. Uh, I really didn't like it much because I didn't know the song. And I was just kind of singing along her. And all of a sudden, one of the phrases in that song jumped right off the page and got right in my heart. And that phrase was, live with eternity's values in view. And all of a sudden, I began to think and meditate on, we live so much with temporal values in view. How much am I going to earn? What am I going to buy? What am I going to, my houses and lands and things that I need and I have to have and I'm going to do this. And we're thinking about temporal things all the time. And the phrase was, live with eternity's values in view. What does that mean? Well, I think Paul knew what it meant. Uh, just let me read from 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22 and 23. It says, I became weak to the weak to win the weak. I have adapted to the culture of every place I've gone so that I could more easily win people to Christ. I have done all of this so that I would become God's partner for the sake of the gospel. 
Paul understood that living with eternity's values in view was living with the gospel. People, people are what really matters. So he decided he would use his time, his talents, and his treasures to win people because people are forever eternal. And you and I are eternal. Nothing else in this place is eternal. It's all going to go. But it's important how we use our time, talents, and treasures. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 16, verse 9. It is important that you use the wealth of this world to demonstrate your friendship with God by winning friends and blessing others. Then when this world fails and falls apart, your generosity will provide you with an eternal reward. When this world fails and falls apart, the things that are here are gone. The things that you have blessed others and uh, shared with others and given away will give you eternal rewards. Our culture likes to project that he who dies with the most toys wins. The truth is, he who dies with the most toys still is dead and has to face eternity. A better saying is, wise is the one who gives up something he cannot keep to invest in something he cannot lose. What are you investing in? What are you investing your time and your talents and your treasures in? Eternal things or temporal things? You know, human souls are the only thing that are eternal that will last forever. Are you investing in the gospel reaching out to eternal souls? Are you living with eternity's values in view or just temporal values in view? Invest in a legacy that lasts forever. All right. Doug packed a lot of really good stuff into a very short video and uh, so much good stuff. Are you living with eternal values in view or just temporary values? And I love, he's just talking about human souls are the only thing that can last forever. And so we do things to become God's partner for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of people. Now, Doug doesn't just talk the talk. Decades ago, he walked the walk, and he and his wife Donna and they took their family all the way from Canada down to Guatemala and adjusted to another culture to win as many people as possible uh, for the Lord. So a person who is shaped by the good news about Jesus in their lives gives themselves away. They do it out of love for God, and they do it in order to imitate Jesus and they do it to embrace eternal values, and, and it puts an incredibly high value on people as the one eternal th thing that will last forever. Now, I'll just say a few things about my friend Doug, if that's okay. Doug is still giving himself away today. Uh, in the 1970s, our church reached out to Doug to lead our church's citywide Easter outreach to kids. So he went from wherever he was to to hear and uh, helped us and led that outreach to kids. And uh, you, we didn't know at that time, of course, I wasn't around then, but didn't know at that time that years later he'd moved to Moose Jaw and he'd uh, serve as a pastor uh, in our community. And in his, uh, is it okay if I say this, Doug? In his 70s, he still is ministering to kids today. He still teaches kids today. Uh, with, the, with the younger kids in uh, Hillcrest Kids. So this week I heard a story, 
and I thought I'd just pass along about Doug's investment here at the church. I heard that five-year-old James Myers was asked by his parents, who's your best friend at church? And he said, the man with the beard. <laughs> wow, it's a friendship with a 65-year age gap. It's amazing. So I found a picture of Doug online, and I just want to share it with you. <laughs> In case you can't read that. I don't always help out on Sunday mornings, but when I do, I help Pastor Laura with Hillcrest Kids. <laughs> Maybe that isn't Doug. Anyhow, I think Doug... Does anyone else think Doug is the most interesting man in the world? I, I feel that way. Anyhow, so there he is. <laughs> well, speaking of giving yourself away, uh, there's a, a really significant moment that's not happening right here, but it's happening in Regina. Brittany Burkhart, young lady in our church in her 20s, she is uh, sitting in the airport right now. Right this moment, she is sitting in anticipation of taking a flight to a part of the world where not very many people, there are not very many followers of Jesus. And I just chatted with her yesterday, and she told me how much anticipation she had. She'd been, tried to go earlier. She got sick, and so she couldn't go, so she had to put off her flight. And now she's, she's going. She's, she's taking this bold step of following Jesus. And it brought Psalm 67, 1 to 4 to mind. I read half of this last week. Let me read you the other half of it. It said, may God be gracious to us and bless us to make it, and make his face shine on us. Why? Why? There's the word so. It'll tell you why. So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. I love that line. May the nations be glad. Because Brittany is glad in God, just like Doug and Donna did many years ago. Brittany is giving herself so that the nations will be glad in God. She's giving herself. She's being shaped by the gospel message, the work of Jesus in her. And what does it cost to make the nations glad in God? What does it cost to see them rejoicing because they have heard this message and believed it and come to experience its great joy? Well, it might cost leaving family behind. It might cost leaving your, the familiar. It might cost becoming a minority or having to eat strange foods. Um, I asked Brittany, I said, is there anything you're taking with you, like in your luggage, that you know you can't get there? And she was like, she mentioned two things, and the one that I remembered was vanilla extract, which is about the last thing I would think of if I was traveling somewhere else. Vanilla extract, but evidently where she's going, you can't get vanilla extract. And so she's, I don't know if she's got a case or what. Anyhow, I'm not sure, but I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, it might cost embracing strange and perhaps a frustrating way of doing life. It might, it might cost giving up your preferences and your favorite things. And in the case of Brittany, it definitely will cost learning a new language that she's never known before in order to communicate with people that God dearly loves. 
So there are significant sacrifices needed to reach the nations, but surely those who go overseas or far away, they're not the only ones who are called to reach the nations. We are called to reach the nations as well. So the question I have for us today is, what are the significant shifts for everyone who's called to follow Jesus, including those who are sending others to go? I think that it's important that a church that sends others to go to the nations should embody the same values and lifestyle as those we send. Otherwise, there's a danger. There's a danger that we might come out of alignment with the people we send. I think I've heard this story before in a few different contexts where a church is enthusiastic and they send someone out and they go out and they serve for a number of years, maybe even decades, and then they get a little letter in the mail, and it's just sort of like, uh, you know, your budget line has been canceled. Now, there might be good reasons for a church to do that and different things, but a bad reason would be if they no longer have a heart for the nations like they once did. If they no longer have a heart to reach people like they once did. And whereas they've sent someone out and they've, They've carried the burning passion of God for the lost elsewhere, but their supporting group back home has cooled and become indifferent. And they no longer see that as a high priority to, to reach others with the gospel. So we, we, we must be a church not only willing to send people away to reach people, but we must embrace our role as sent people here at home. John 20, 21 says this. Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So God is ascending God. God the Father sent Jesus. And God's people are all sent people. So the million-dollar question, have we as God's people embraced the significant shifts that come with that? And if we haven't, why haven't we? Well, I thought of a few different reasons. Um, first, maybe we aren't as glad in God as we could be. If Brittany's going to make the nations glad in God, well, maybe that's where we need to begin. Have we really dug deep into what it means, what, what Jesus means to us and what he's done for us? Maybe the second question thing is that I was thinking about was, Maybe because of that, we're trying to find happiness in other things. Especially in this season, I think about the happiness that we try to find in materialism or material goods. How many of you have bought your kids Christmas presents already? And you hope that that will make them happy. <laughs> I, I, maybe you don't want to think about this. And I almost didn't want to think about it too. I've already brought, bought a couple of Christmas presents for my kids and I was, as I was buying them, I thought, how long will this make them happy? It's depressing. Don't think about it. But really, how long? You've had one of those Christmases where it's like all the presents are ripped open and every, they're all on the floor and they're like, I'm bored or, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, or they're fighting or it's not, you know, it's like the happiness didn't happen. The material goods didn't produce it. It was sort of a surface happiness that, you know, sort of came, and then it didn't last as long as we thought it. 
maybe, I mean, it's not just kids. We're like that too. We, we sometimes think, oh, if I can have this or that would, that would amp up the happiness in our lives. But I think we're going to the wrong source instead of going to God and understanding what God has done for us. I think maybe we don't operate with eternal values, like Doug was saying, because we don't always anticipate eternity. I mean, we know that the Bible says this world is not our home and, and there's a home for us in heaven, but we, we maybe our imagination is not really caught up to that reality that God's creating something even better for us. We maybe just look around and, and we're holding on to this like this is the better. I know the Apostle Paul, he said when he was talking about being like dying or living, he said to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So to live was all about Jesus. Everything was all about Jesus. But to die, that was even better. In fact, he said when he wrote in Philippians this letter, he said, you know, which shall I choose? You know, I, I might die, I might live, I don't know. But which, if I had the choice, which shall I choose? I mean, I mean it's, it's better to go to be with God. Do we have that view? Now, in the end, he wrote, he says, it's better to be with God, but I think it's most likely that I'm going to remain here for your benefit. So, yeah, it's way better to, it's way better to be there, but you know what? If you're still here, God's got something for you to do. He, he means for your life to benefit others, for there to be an impact for, the, for God and, and in the lives of people. So I think, there's a, I think there's a struggle in our lives to sacrifice ourselves in a world that's, that we build for our own comfort. Um, I was writing a little bit of um, this message in Starbucks. Someone wanted to meet me at Starbucks. And I don't go to Starbucks very often. I'm not, an, I'm not uh, you know, I'm not an avid Starbuckser. I don't know what the names is for Starbucksers. But anyhow, I was there, and, um, I, you know, looking up at the menu, and, and it, you know, it's really helpful that it's all written in Latin. That's really nice. I like that. The first time I heard someone say they wanted a venti, I thought, don't they all have vents, like the cups? Anyhow, I didn't know how it worked. But I, I'm not an avid, you know, Starbucks customer. But as I was sitting there, I thought, I see the attraction. You know, all the drinks smell good, and, you know, this place is sort of nice and attractive, and... And, you know, you do feel a bit, you know, a cut above everybody else sitting here. You know, I, I thought, you know, I can, I can see where this is, you know, a comfort that people would like every day in their lives. Now, but I wonder if some of those comforts then become the hard things that we have to let go in order to go, in order to be sent people, in order to, um, in order to do what God has called us to do. So I hope that some of the truths we look at today will help us in our struggle to shift our lives towards reaching people. So let's go back to our key verse, which I would say is 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23. So the second, basically the second phrase in, in 9, 22, 1 Corinthians 9, 22. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. So you could say Paul went all out. <laughs> Right? All, all, all. He just keeps saying it. But what do these things mean? What, what does it mean that I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some? I like how it's, it's there's a couple more. Let me just read you a little bit of NLT and message on this because I think there's some great insights in those two, the way it's worded. In NLT in verse 22, it says, 
I try to find common ground with everyone. All things to all people. I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I think that's really important to understand this. We're talking about common ground. And then the message translation, I love this. It says, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, wow, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. And then he says, I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempt to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. I love that. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. This adventure with God and reaching out to people. So, what does it look like? I think there's three shifts I want to just talk about today. The first one is this. A significant shift from living for yourself to living for God and others. And I think there's a key catalyst that helps us this to happen. I was going to say a key crowbar, because sometimes the shift is really hard to make. But anyhow, this is the thing. I think the call of Jesus is the first key catalyst from living for yourself to living for God and others. Here's the call of Jesus. Here's a couple versions of it. Matthew 4.19. Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for, pe- fish for people. So Jesus tells people up front. He was telling, he's saying it to fishermen. Right? So he was using an analogy. Again, Jesus was finding common ground, even in the way he communicated to fishermen. He said, do you love fishing? If you follow me, I'll send you out to fish for people. So Jesus tells people up front, you come to Jesus, he sends you out to help others come to Jesus. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So self-denial and sacrifice are a vital part of following Jesus. And then you see this echoed by Jesus' followers when they reflected back on what Jesus has done and what Jesus had called them to and who Jesus had made them. They reflected on this whole element of, of denying themselves and sacrifice. So 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he, that's Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So we're called to live for Jesus instead of ourselves. And then 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves, so what do we, what do we say about ourselves? Ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So we declare that Jesus is Lord and we are his servants, but as a result of that, we become a people for others. We become servants for others. Isaac Watts, he wrote the, he wrote the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. This is just a few lines from it. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The call of God 
is not a call to give a part of your life to God. It's a call to give all of your life. And the good and wonderful thing about this is that there isn't a part of your life that God turns his nose up at and says, I won't take it. He knows, where, he knows our brokenness. He knows our, he knows our, our hang-ups. He knows our, our habits. He knows all the things about us that maybe aren't that lovely, and he just comes along and says, I'll take all of you. But he requires that. He requires it. It's not just, he doesn't just say, you know, Jesus is going to be a sort of a, a, you know, a side gig in your life or an extra or an add-on. He must be central. He's either Lord of all or Lord or not Lord at all. So, Paul says, again, he, he reflects in what we've been reading. This, if, if Jesus is Lord, then I become a servant to those that my Lord wants to reach. If God is a God on mission, if God is, is ascending God, if I am, if, as Jesus was sent, so send I you. If that's what's happening here in this dynamic, then I will become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I thought about that share in its blessings. What are its blessings? I just sort of brainstormed this a bit. I thought, well, it's one of the blessings is being freed from the clutches of materialism. It's amazing when you can say, well, I don't need that. I'm not running after that to fulfill any empty part in my life. I'm going to God with that need. Another blessing is becoming a conduit of God's blessings for others. God promised through Abraham that through his seed, through his offspring, through his, his descendants, there would come blessing for all the nations of the world. And then those who follow Jesus, and that's a, that's a prophecy about Jesus, and those who follow Jesus are Abraham's seed. We have a part to play in that. We are conduits of blessing to the entire world. God wants to make the nations glad in God. God wants to give himself to the nations. And we get to take that. We are conduit of that blessing. What other blessings are there? Well, partnering with God is a blessing. What an incredible thing. Like it didn't, I, I, I sometimes think, did it have to be that way? That's amazing. I mean, I'm glad that it is. It's an amazing thing to think of yourself as an ambassador for God, representing him into situations in life. You go into a situation, and it's messed up, and you think, but the shadow of the Almighty is falling over me today. I am his representative in this moment. I carry, um, you know, I'm, I'm his ambassador. I'm, I'm here as his rep. It's an incredible thing. And to partner with him in a living interaction in some of those things to sense his leading in situations and to follow and obey. That's a huge blessing. Making the nations glad in God, that's a huge blessing. Being welcomed into eternal dwellings. Uh, Doug was referencing that verse. Use your money to make friends for yourself. It sounds like, oh, you know, what are you doing here? It's like, no, it's, it's investing, you know, so that those people are in eternal dwellings. And then you'll be welcomed. It's a, it's a crazy concept, but it, it's It's amazing. Think about people that you want to know God, to be with him forever. It says the way you live your life now, it's possible that you can live it in such a way 
that as a result, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwelling. So I don't know what they, what will, how we'll live, right? I don't know what kind of, you know, house you'll have or anything like that. I don't know anything that, that stuff. But if there are eternal dwellings, we want people to be there. And I, I don't know what it's like. Welcome, you know. You, I guess there's hospitality in heaven too. That's awesome. And then, and then the, the last thing, what, what is, is our blessing is... Um, I think this one's tied around how we see people. Let me, let, I'm going to jump to that. I'll come back to it in a second. One more blessing I'll share in a bit. The, sig- the significant shift number two is this. It's a shift from seeing some people as deserving or undeserving of love, but instead to see people as God, people as people that God loves and he wants to restore into relationship with him. I sometimes have heard this term like, you know, you should give to this cause because uh, the people that it benefits are all deserving. Sometimes people use this term when it comes to things that you're giving towards children, like these, these deserving children. And I, I, found it, I find it quite an f- interesting uh, phrase, like, because if you say, well, oh, so you've handpicked these children who are deserving, and then there's a bunch of undeserving children, like it sort of seems like, it's a weird phrase to me. A deserving, like just the definition is basically to have earned or be given something because of the way you've behaved or the qualities that you have. And I think probably how we use it when we talk about deserving children is that uh, it's sort of like a way of saying that they don't deserve to be in this bad condition. They're innocent. There's circumstances beyond their control that have caused them to be here. And so, but I think sometimes we look into our world and we say, well, these people, they deserve our help because they're working hard to help themselves. Or these people are deserving in, in different ways. But when it comes to the gospel and when it comes to God, none of us are deserving children. We've all gone our own way and not God's way. Again, this is, I'm not, this is my, my opinion. This is what the Bible says. And so Jesus... I think the key catalyst to sort of make this shift of how we see people, some are deserving, some are undeserving, is we need the example of Jesus. Luke 15, 1-2, says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, those were the really religious types, and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's as best as I can do for a mutter. So Jesus had been called many things because of his, his habitual spending time with people who were considered undeserving. He was called a glutton. He was called a drunk. Now, don't think those things were true, but the last one is true. It was an accusation that was true, maybe not the way that they meant him. The worst of all, they called him a friend of sinners. Now, again, glutton and drunk, not accurate. He did eat and drink with people, but living a sinless life, I don't think he got into those things. But the third one is true. He was a friend of sinners. Now, they meant it as a disparaging term, but he, he was a friend of sinners. Now, again, that's good news because the Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're made in the image of God, which is incredible. We're made with a heart ready to worship God, but... Humanity as a whole lost that through its rejection of God. 
And we're all born in sort of that condition. And God wants to restore us. But so when they were saying, this man welcomes sinners, they were failing to recognize that they themselves were sinners. So when Jesus was questioned, why, didn't you, why are you hanging out with sinners? Or they're muttering about him. These are people with a bad reputation. He immediately tells them three stories. One, there's a lost sheep. The shepherd goes on an all-out search to find the lost sheep. Two, there was a lost coin. The woman who owns the coins, she turns her house upside down, cleans it from one end to the other to find the lost coin. It was an all-out search. Three, there was a lost son. He left, was far away, but the father was ready. He was eager to welcome him home, and when he did come home, he ran to him and embraced him. So you've got this... Uh, in two stories, you've got this search, and in, in the third story, you've got this eager welcomeness. But it's, it's sort of saying again and again, the common reality is they're all lost, and the main character in the story really wanted them back, wanted the sheep, wanted the coin, wanted the son. And you know, just I was reading it again, and I realized there's a, one more search in here, and that is that there's an older son, and he comes in, and he's just ripped off that his son, that his brother's being celebrated. Because all of these lost stories end with a celebration. The, the shepherd calls his friends together and celebrates. The, the woman who found her coin, she calls her friends over, and she celebrates. The father calls everyone together, and they celebrate. But there's one more search that happens in it. So it's the older son. He's ripped off, and he's like, yeah, you're celebrating him. He just wasted all our money on parties and prostitutes, which is actually what it says in the Bible. And so you, he wasted all our money, and now he's back, and you welcomed him home. And, and uh, it says the father leaves the party, and he goes out to find the older son. And he says, why don't you come into the party, please? We had to celebrate. The one who was lost is found. And he, it says in the Bible, he entreats him. He, he speaks kindly to him. In other words, he's searching for religious people too. You know, throughout the New Testament, you see Jesus and the Pharisees going head to head, and he's rebuking them for how they've led people astray because they're the ones who are supposed to lead people to God, and they have done a terrible job. In fact, they've led people away from God, and he's going after them. This is the one, probably one of the few stories where he actually speaks kindly to them and basically tells a story. At the end of it, he doesn't say, so there. It's almost like he leaves it hanging. It's like, come on, I know you're so desperately religious in a twisted way. It's not always gone good for you. Come on in. I've got sinners and tax collectors surrounding me. Come be a part of what God is doing. So people, though we're all sinful, are still incredibly loved by God. And he wants to restore us to himself. That's the heart of God. And that's the beating heart he wants to put in his followers as well. And this is... Uh, this is where I want to talk about one of the other things I think is the blessing that we share in the gospel. It's how we see people. Philippians 4.1 says this, Therefore, my brothers, to whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord this way, dear friends. So Paul is calling the people he loves and long for, he called them my joy and crown. Very interesting. The people that Paul was sent to reach out to were his crown. Then again, in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, 
says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? This is amazing. Like, um, the worth and, and the value put on people through the gospel is astounding. And it's not just deserving people because none of us are deserving of the goodness that God has lavished on us through Christ. But for those who are called to reach people, those, which is all of us, those people are our crown. It says, when I glory, when I glory in the presence of the Lord, when I'm with the Lord and I'm like, thank you, Lord, for all that you've done in my life, the especially potent part of that glory will be the people that God has called us to reach. No wonder Jesus said, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Those people are your crown. You know, a couple years ago, my, my wife was cleaning up around the house and she found all my old soccer trophies. And um, back when I was in my 20s, I played in a soccer league that was very generous with trophies. That's how I ended up with so many of them. But I did have to score the goals. Like, let's be honest. I scored, you know, enough goals to get the trophies, right? So I have this quite a decent-sized collection of soccer trophies from, from the league I was playing in way back when. And uh, my wife was like, okay, we live in a small house. These have got to go. And so she's, she's going to, I don't know if she was going to consult me or not, but she, she was just ready to trash my trophies. And uh, anyhow, she phoned her mom and said, like, yeah, you know, Steve's got all these trophies lying around. They just collect dust, and I don't know what the point is. You know, you know she sort of has, I don't know, I'm probably putting some words in there. But she was going to get rid of them. And my mother-in-law, who is a saint, said, Marnie, no, you take those trophies out, and you put them on display. Wow. I hit the jackpot with my mother-in-law. Now, we did that for a little while, and then, you know, they got dusty again, and eventually... So, now they're sort of on a top shelf in my office at home. They're just sort of, sort of hidden away, and they don't get seen much. But you know what? This whole thing about people being your crown, it is potent. I tell you, if I'm, on, if I'm ailing, and it's my last days, and I'm on my deathbed, don't bring me my trophies. Don't bring me my toys. Don't show me my bank balance. None of those are my crown. Bring me my people. That's our crown. That's our crown. And there are people yet to be part of that crown that God wants us to reach, that God wants to care for, to love, and to reach out to for him. So God wants us to see people differently. And it's through the example of Jesus, how he gave himself. Uh, in First Peter, I'm not going to read it all, but it just says that here are people being slandered. They're, they're serving Jesus. They're being slandered. They're being mistreated. And they're, they're trying to tell people the hope that they have within them. And then it's like, okay, it's better if you are slandered. It's better if you're mistreated or you're treated... Uh, I'm going to skip ahead here. Just go for it. The, the, the tagline in the verses is, 
just like Jesus was righteous and lived for the unrighteous to bring them to God. That's how we're supposed to live. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring them to God. Well, the righteous, none of us are righteous because we deserved it, right? We're righteous because of God's grace. So that can't be some sort of standing of, look, I'm righteous and you're unrighteous. It's like there's no boasting in Christianity, except for in Jesus. You can boast about him because he's perfect, incredible. We can't boast about ourselves. But he says, if God made you righteous, gave you something you don't deserve, then go find other people who don't deserve it and bring them the good news that God is willing to restore them in spite of not deserving it. That God loves them that much. That he desires to be in relationship with them. He desires to give them joy unceasing forever in his presence. Bring it. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring them to God. So what are the sacrifices in that context? It's like you're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be slandered. Still, speak to people with gentleness and respect. This isn't about justice. Justice is, there's good things about justice, but for the Christian, we're not called to get it all even in our lives. You say, well, that person treated me bad. I'm not going to reach out to them anymore. No, that's how it's supposed to work. That's probably fairly normal. Apostle Paul, before we get into the main passage that we're looking for in 1 Corinthians 3, he's talking about his rights as an apostle. He's saying, hey, I have the right to this, I have the right to that. He goes, but I have laid down my rights because I want to win people for Christ. I want to share in the blessings of the gospel. I've laid down my rights. So, some, so many times we're just like, no, I can't give up my rights. I mean, this is, it's funny how justice is, justice is in the news all the time. And justice is a good thing from God. But we have received way more than we deserve. We, when we do the math of what God has given us compared to what anybody treats us with, we have received greater than justice. We've received the grace of God, the mercy of God. And so as blessed people, we're made to be a blessing for the world. We're called to be a people for others. And in that, we might receive rejection or bad treatment or things like that. And we're, we're not to respond like we received. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Love your enemies. That's what we're called to. So it's a significant shift in our lives. Here's the last significant shift from living however you please to living strategically to save some. And I think the key catalyst in this is just union with Jesus. It's union with Jesus, saying yes to his call and his lifestyle adjustments as we walk with him. I mean, without him, we can do nothing. We need to be in relationship with Jesus to see these things. And so this means we're trying to find common ground with people. So that means we shift things in our lives. So for love's sakes, we, we, we try to overcome any unnecessarily alienating difference that cuts us off from somebody who doesn't know Christ. I mean, the gospel is a bit of a stumbling block. It is a stumbling block to people because it, it assaults their pride. Their need of God assaults their pride. So there's something already to get over. Don't add extra things for them to get over. Right? So you, you have to look at your own life. Is, do I have stuff in my relating with other people that is something else they have to get over? You don't want those things. So for love's sake, 
You try to, anything, any alienating difference that cuts you off from other people, as long as it's not sin, you know, deal with that. In, for love's sake, if you went cross-culturally, you'd want, have to learn a language. You might even be part of people who want to trans, who translate a Bible into a different language. Well, in our own culture, we have to do that too. We have to learn, how do people speak? What, what's their language? What's, what's the way to communicate with them? How do I translate the truth about God into their context? How do I find that common ground with that other person? For love's sake, you eat dinner together the way they eat dinner. Oh, it's a big one right now, right? You're, you might be a vegetarian or you might be a meditarian. I don't know. But if you are sitting with somebody and they're a vegetarian, you don't, in the middle of the meal, if you're reaching them, you don't say, seriously, where's the beef? Or if you're a vegetarian and a follower of Jesus and you're sitting with somebody and there is beef, it's not like you don't tell them they're killing the planet or something like that. Because those are all secondary. Jesus, I, I, you know, I, there's a bit more nuance to this maybe, but Jesus kept saying, when you go out and you're reaching out to people, you eat what they set before you. And I assume that's without complaining and with great gratitude. That's an adjustment. Brittany's going to be making that adjustment this week. In freedom, for love's sake, we, we, we should probably try to fit in with the locals, maybe even, even how we dress. I, I was in a Canadian tire one day, and I was thinking about uh, missionaries, and there was a rack of rider shirts, and I didn't own one. So I thought, you know, if I want to dress like the locals... If you need one. What if I get invited to a Grey Cup party and I don't have a rider shirt? I want to wear clothes that says, hey, I'm one of you. <laughs> Lots of things fall apart if you move to Winnipeg. <laughs> Sorry, Bombers fans. I'm just teasing. Yeah, so it's just how do I find that common ground, right? In freedom for love's sake, you listen to their politics. You listen to their talk about their sports and their businesses and the things that they're into. But you don't make your opinions on these things your calling card. That has been such a journey for me. I'm a super opinionated person, you might have caught on. I'm super opinionated, and I want to share my opinions about all of these areas. And yet, I'm trying to shift a significant shift so it can be more and more useful in the harvest that God wants to bring in. So some of these things have to be subjugated. Some of these things have to be like, okay, I can't care about that as much as I care about the ultimate, and that is seeing people come to know Christ. So you got to you do these things. It's, it's an interesting walk. When, G, when Paul was saying, I do this with the Jews and the Gentiles, I do it with people who are under the law and under the law, it's fascinating. I, I would, have been, would have been neat to have a camera to follow him around. How did he adapt to the Jewish people who were very religious and very had certain viewpoints on things? How did he adapt to them? And then when he went to the people who were, who were not religious in the same way, how did he adapt there? And did he, what did he happen when those two groups came together? How did he adapt to both of them? And we have that in our lives too, don't we? And so it's, it requires thoughtful uh, reflection and also requires leading of the Spirit in our lives. Just to ask God, God, 
How do you want me to be in relation to these people so that I can reach them for you? Sometimes people think the great, there's a, and I think there is sometimes a great danger in how we, we sometimes start with a, a desire to reach out, but we become influenced more than we are an influencer. And so I think we often have to ask the Holy Spirit, am I losing my passion for winning people? Is it shrinking as I'm becoming all things to all men? Or am I keeping that hot in my life? Am I keeping that front and center in my life? I think the thing that I, I've often thought, like, what am I bringing to share with people? I mean, there's lots of ways you can be equipped for this, but I think one of the biggest things is you just have to be walking with Christ. You have to be in union with Christ. You have to be in a living relationship with him. You have to be open to his guiding and direction in your life. I mean, just simply humbly walk with God. And then out of that, share that with other people. So, I mean, you have to be a participant if you're going to promote. So walk with God and then humbly share what that's like with other people when you have opportunities. You know, people talk about their anxieties and their fears, and you say, yeah, I, I also experience those same weaknesses. I also experience those same things in my life. And I, and I bring those things to God, and I pray, and, and that often results in peace in my heart. Just your real-life experience. Or maybe there's areas where that's not a fear in your life anymore. It's not an anxiety in your life. And you say, well, actually... I used to feel exactly the same way, and this is how, I, how that changed in my life because I brought that to God, and he did the deep work in me that has changed my perspective in that way. I'm not living in that, that same place. Again, it's just those moments to say, so it's like, oh, you're, you're not just promoting this. You're a practitioner. You're, you're a person who's experiencing this. I know um, one of the verses that, I heard lots growing up. This one is 1 Peter 3.15. Always be ready to give the reason for the hope that you have. And the rationale that went with it was learn apologetics or learn to reason your faith. And it's good. It's actually good. But I think there's a, a, another aspect to it that I think is really important. It's not just that we can reason our faith or that we're rational about it and then we haven't checked our brains at the door when we think about God. But there's another apologetic, and that's the apologetic of experience. And those are both needed today. And I think, you know, always give the reason for the hope that you have. It means you have hope. You have hope. So people who don't have hope, you can share the hope. So it's not just that you've got all your reasons figured out or you can tell 12 different ways and why the resurrection is valid belief or anything like that. It's that I'm experiencing God. I'm experiencing God. I've got into several conversations where I got off into the reason area and we're with someone who's not a believer and we're talking about reason, 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 reason. And I go away from those conversations and I go, oh, I should have told them what my experience is. I should have told them what it's like to have a relationship with God. I should have told them the delight that I have, the peace that I have, the, the joy that I have, how I experienced grace and how I could never live without those. Th- I could never go back to living without those things. Both of those are needed in our day. 
And it comes out of union with Christ. It comes out of walking with Christ. And then just humbly telling people what it's like and that they can have that as well. I'm going to close with this. I got a, a text this week from Kathy Bytel, part of our church. She says, good morning, Pastor Steve. Just wanted to take a moment. And Kathy Bytel, she uh, leads a Mums to Mum ministry that now meets her here in our church. And she's been leading that for many years, and, but we're excited to have that at Hillcrest. And good morning, Pastor Steve. Just wanted to take a moment to say how thankful I am God brought our hearts to Hillcrest. So thankful for the continual, the continual passion the church has for loving and reaching all people with the love, hope, and joy of the gospel. I have not only heard it from the platform, but see it being worked out through the hearts of the leaders and the people. This is a fresh set of eyes seeing us as a church. So this is super encouraging. I especially love the part, and this is referring to last week's sermon, I especially love the part that we don't have to know it all or have it all figured out. I think God purposely uses the least likely, most broken, and imperfect because we never forget our need for his grace to keep us dependent on him. It has been 22 years since God called me to leave my job and stay at home full-time and begin a journey with him into Mum's ministry. A call I answered through a church altar call that Dave Moore gave as my pastor at First Free Methodist. Dave, where are you, Dave? Right now, are you regretting that you decided to live for crowns instead of trophies? No. <laughs> I bet not. I just had a heart desire to be used and sent to share the good news. Only now do I really rem remember the significance in that moment. God took a heart that came from a home void of love and full of brokenness and healed and taught that heart what love was, how to love, and to be loved. To come into a relationship with a Heavenly Father and continually trust Him to lead and guide me and be the parent I never had. Everything I learned, I learned as a child of God. I am forever thankful for all Jesus has done in my heart, marriage, family, and story. Even these last few years, I'm thankful I was able to once again trust God's heart and hand in the unknown. I'm thankful for the promise and peace that this earth is not our home and that he can be trusted with all my days, breaths, and times, and that anything he allows, he uses in my life. And she goes on to say thank you to Hillcrest Church for allowing mum-to-mum -mum ministry to find a home here. So Dave, part of your crown. And she's seeing in our community young moms who need assistance and love and need mentoring. And she sees them as her crown. And she's become glad in God and she's spreading that joy to others as well. Would you stand?
Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, we've talked about three things we need. We need need to hear clearly your call to surrender all and follow you. Thank you that you, you will. You don't reject part, but you take all of us. So, Lord, I pray that um, just this, this thing, we've been talking about it week after week after week, but all that I am and all that I own belongs to you. Lord, I ask for another deep soaking in that reality. Would it sink deeper and deeper and deeper? And Jesus, thank you for your example. Thank you for the way that you loved us sacrificially. Thank you for the way that you uh, left comfort to embrace the cost of bringing us into relationship with God. And Jesus, we just ask for your guidance and direction. We want to be connected to you. We want to receive life from you. We want to be uh, walking in step with you. You said your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So if we imagine some sort of harness between us and you, we want to walk where it, it doesn't mean that there's no trouble. It doesn't mean that there's no suffering. It doesn't mean that there's no bad things that happen along that journey, but that you are in that with us. And you're not only just step by, that we're not only trying to be step by step with you and keep up with you and be responsive to you and obedient to you, but also you're providing the power in this reality in this partnership, and on the other side of the harness, you're the one bringing the oomph. So God, we, just, we desire to walk with you. We desire to walk these things out. And Lord, we will just freely admit that so many times we don't know how. But Lord, you can speak to us. You can guide us and direct us. You can show us things that we just need to edit out of our life because it makes us ineffective. Maybe some things that are, we've placed too high in our priorities or, or, or made our lives too much about certain things, and they need to be just brought down lower to, to find their proper place. But God, we, we want to be like the Apostle Paul who just reflected on what you did for him and then realized he had a short window and he wanted to be effective for you. So, Lord, would you... Would you show us the next step? For each of us, it might be very different, but do you show us the next step of obedience and help us to take it? In your name. Amen.